Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome to the Gospel for Life. We are continuing our conversation regarding the Psalms. Um, Russ or Phil, perhaps when you guys could just get our listeners caught up um, as to what we talked about yesterday. I just wanted to quickly um, talk about something we did talk about yesterday and just add one more little um, nugget maybe with it. Um, We talked about the fact that the Psalms are a compilation of 150 separate Psalms um, and that the order is not random. And Josh had quoted from um, Dr. Godfrey's book, Learning to Love the Psalms, and there are five divisions of the Psalter. And each of the books, ends with a doxology so book one goes through psalm one uh, through 41 psalm 41 ends with a doxology book two goes through psalm 72 ends with a doxology book three through psalm 89 ends in a doxology psalm 106 is the end of book four ends also in a doxology then psalm 150 the end of the fifth book and the end of the psalms is a doxology, but interestingly, um, the last five psalms of the book are all doxologies, and this is just a little more endorsement for Godfrey's book. He will say that those five psalms relate to the five books of the Psalter, that 146 goes to book one, 147 to book two, 148, book three, 149 to book four, and then 150 to book five. Perhaps we should help our listeners with a, a little definition here. Russ, what is a doxology? It just means praise to God. So it's the the psalmist is ending with a, um, a couple verses or a verse of just their heart is overwhelmed and they want to praise God for who he is and what he's done. I got to say, I, I actually think uh, this is a little bit of a side note, brothers. Um, this, this word of praise or this doxology is actually a really helpful way to read your Bible. So for instance, in our, in our regular meetings at the well church, uh, in our regular elders meetings, one of the things we do is we, we open up the passage that we're going to preach from this particular coming Sunday. We read it. And then we go around the room and we essentially say, what can you praise God for in this text? So before we even, you know, try to understand what the text means, what is praiseworthy about God himself in this text? And it opens up the conversation like a flower blossoming. It's, it's so amazing. And, and it, it, it perhaps I would just bring this up. If, if you struggle with like family worship or how to talk with your children about the Bible, do this. I mean, read a little section and say, hey, what can we praise God for in this text? It's a wonderful way of um, not only connecting your heart to the passage, but connecting your heart to God. 
Yeah, let me let me add an amen to that, and maybe a, a an encouragement to the listener. Um, the Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. They're also the hymn book of the Bible, and these are the Psalms are inspired words given to us. They're a gift from God that we give back to God. We we pray. We this is our prayer book, our our first and, and most basic prayer book um, that we these inspired words are given to us so that we can give them back to God mm. and uh, if you're anything like me and I'm, I'm assuming I'm not terribly unusual that uh, my mind wanders all over the place when, when I try to pray if I don't have a guide to prayer if I just sit down to pray without anything in front of me or without you know my my little simple mind isn't nailed down very well, and it'll just wander all over the place. Pray the Psalms. Yes. Uh, the, the Psalms will guide your prayer and, uh, and, and direct your prayers. The Psalms will teach you how to pray and uh, give content to your prayer. And I believe that's why God gave us these prayers, so that we can give them back to him. And if you come across a passage like you were quoting off air, Phil, about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said, I don't, I don't measure up to any of these psalms. If you come across a passage where you're like, I don't identify with that at all. This psalmist is talking about walking in this, you know, this, this level of righteousness that I have never known. Well, then transfer that exact, exactly to Christ. You can, you can say at that moment, thank you so much, God, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who fits the profile of this psalm perfectly. And your word says, blessed are those who take refuge in him. I'm trusting in him. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and I'm drawing a blank, guys. You're going to have to help me. Which psalm is it that says, vindicate me, O God, because I have walked in my righteousness? There's one in Psalm 18. Uh, yeah. He's praying, you know, Saul died and, and he says, or, or he says, uh, you have rewarded me according to my righteousness in Psalm 18. Yes. Yes. And, you know, you get to that and you say, how can I pray that? Uh, you, in a way, you, you, you can't, you don't qualify, but Christ does. Mm -hmm. And in Christ, because you're united to Christ and he's credited you. Uh, imputed to you his righteousness pray that prayer but you yeah. you pray it in christ yeah it's not about me it's about him yeah i i, I know russ is chomping at the bit to, to get back to psalm one and psalm two just give me one more yeah. one more line I'm, <laughs> I'm reading this uh great book right now by a, a theologian named petrus van maastricht and russ this came up at the conference last year um Mark Jones talked about how God the Father loves our our works as imperfect as they are and that we don't need to condemn ourselves as we bring these imperfect works to God. But Van Maastricht gives a, a perfect analogy. He says, look, by faith, all of our works are dyed, D-Y-E-D, -E in the merits of Christ. <laughs> so just like Perhaps a uh, an older gentleman like Phil. I mean, I, I don't have this problem. Phil, you know, with his all <laughs> his gray and white hair, maybe he dyes his hair brown or or black to make himself look younger. That's exactly what the, the imagery that Van Maastricht is using. That all of our works, as imperfect as they are, they're dyed in the merits of Christ. 
by the way, my, you know, with the social distancing, I haven't been able to go get my hair dyed job. And so all of my gray hair is coming out. <laughs> okay. So bring, bring us back to order here, Russ. <laughs> We're losing it. This is beyond me. I think, um, I, just as you guys were talking, I was just thinking about Psalm 1, and it's really a contrast between the righteous and the wicked. And who who's the blessed one? Well, the blessed one is the one that doesn't follow the way of the wicked, um, but instead delights in God and meditates on his law. And um, it's interesting that the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Joshua ends with this same call to choose between a life of obedience and a life of disobedience. Moses, before he dies, calls the people. Joshua, before he dies. And in both cases, after they call the people to, to make a choice about will they, will they choose the Lord or will they choose to follow after other nations, the wicked, the people say, we choose to follow God. And both Moses and Joshua say, in essence, that's nice, but you can't do it. Yes. Sorry. You, you say you're going to, but you're not. Yeah. And you're left with this feeling of, what, well, there's no hope. Well, the fact of the, of the matter is that Psalm 1 ultimately is not about us. Right. Psalm 1 is ultimately about Jesus Christ. Amen. There is only one who can perfectly fulfill the call of Psalm 1. Yes. And when you read the Psalms, what you're really saying is, I can't do any of what these are saying, but Jesus Christ can and did. Yes. And because I'm united to him, it's what Josh was saying, our, our, our works are died, if you will, in the work of, of Christ. Mm -hmm. That he permeates everything that we do. Yes. Right. Um, and so then we can be those um, that are blessed because, in essence, we're blessed in him. Yeah. And you see that relationship between Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. The first line opens up with, Blessed is the man. And then he gives these negative qualities. He's not like this, but he is like this. And, um, and then at the end of Psalm 2, it uses that word blessed again. Blessed are those who take refuge in him, namely the son, which is the subject of verse 13. So it's, it's, it's not giving us this, this kind of formula for, for workspace righteousness. It's saying, look, the ultimate blessing is taking refuge in the only one who meets this profile. Mm -hmm. And this really... Um... Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, is great on this. Phil mentioned him earlier that as we do go through the Psalms and we read the Psalms and we pray the Psalms and we, we come to places where we say, well, I can't make that claim. But the reality is we can make that claim as one that is united to Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, and even some of the difficult prayers of the Psalter, um, the prayers that are, that seem to be vindictive we're really praying the prayer of, of Christ, if you will. Um, and so we, it's not a personal vindictiveness. Um, it's a prayer to see the King of Psalm two established in all of his glory and all of his, his rightful rule. That's right. Um, 
I mean, we pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Well, what are we praying when we say your kingdom come? Aren't we praying that all other kingdoms would be torn down and and crushed and vanquished and destroyed? Yes. Mm -hmm. Why? So that the great king can be established, Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you said off air, um, and I actually have this written in my Bible, Russ. You, you connected uh, Genesis three fifteen to Psalm one and Psalm two, and I, I think, I think when we make those connections for um, other Christians, it's so helpful because it helps them to see the Bible as a whole, as a bunch, as opposed to a bunch of different, just kind of disconnected parts. So. Um, Maybe one of you guys can just make that connection for us. How does Psalm 315 kind of connect to Psalm, sorry, Genesis 315 connect to Psalm 1 and 2? And we have a, about a minute, so you have to do it in a minute. So Genesis 315 is the, the curse of God on the serpent after the fall. And he says that there's going to be enmity, hatred between the seed of the serpent that re represents all evil, those that follow Satan, and the seed of the woman, those that are the children of God. And that's really the storyline of all the scripture, of the conflict between God and the devil, the followers of God, the followers of the devil. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 show us this contrast. Psalm 1, the contrast between the righteous and the wicked, mm -hmm. um, especially with regard to God's word. Are you going to obey and be fruitful? Or are you going to disobey and be dry and weary? And then the second is Psalm 2, their relationship to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Will you love the Messiah or will you fight against him? Right. And it's really the storyline of those two choices. That's right. Mm -hmm. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We are just taking a, a trek through the Psalms as, as kind of an overview. One of our speakers coming up to our Reformation Boise Conference this year in November, November 13th and 14th, is Dr. Robert Godfrey. He wrote a book called Learning to Love the Psalms. We would heartily recommend it to you. And uh, we hope to see you next time on the program. 